Hello, and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. We're a little more than halfway through this incredible letter now to the, the church in Ephesus. And I, I want to share a little bit with why I chose this to be the first letter that we're going to study, the first book that we're going to study as a church. And it's because Paul does such an incredible job in a very comprehensive, well-laid-out way of describing not just who we are in Jesus and how we are to live in general, but how we are to live within a community. And, and we're about halfway through now. And so the first three chapters were all about this new identity, what God has done on our behalf, how he's, he's made us saints, made us holy, righteous, that we're, we're seated with him right now at the right hand of the Father, that we're one with Jesus. And we've been, been given and empowered with the Holy Spirit, the life of God himself living inside us and through us. We have this, this dynamite power, as Paul kind of put it. And, and so that's who we are. We're not sinners saved by grace. We're not trying to strive and measure up and do our best for a distant God. We get to live in union, in relationship with a God who lives inside of us right now. And, and now in chapter four, he's starting to, to apply that. What does that mean and how, that, how does that look like? How do we live that out? And specifically here, he wants to talk about the church. And so this passage that we've been looking at, we started last week, is, is sort of looking at this blueprint of what a church is supposed to be. And, and we identified that there are three major lists or three main lists about these gifts that God has given to the church. And these three separate lists. And, and I say that because some have taught that really each list is a partial list of a greater list as a whole. And so they've kind of tried to compile the three lists and make them into one list. But the reality is we saw last time, they're actually three separate lists describing three different purposes. And so the first list that we looked at, we found in Romans chapter 12. And the word there for gifts that Paul uses is the word charisma. And and charisma really speaks to this idea of a a divine empowerment. And and so it's not your natural abilities. It's not your natural giftings. It's this, this power that God has given to you and I. And this power really speaks to now what is motivationing, what is motivating us, what is, what is driving us, what are we desiring to do? And we saw that there are seven major gifts or seven gifts in this list. Uh, things like prophecy and serving, teaching, leadership, exhortation, giving, and mercy. And, and all of those gifts are there not for the individual themselves, but really they're meant for the body of Christ. They're meant to minister to the body of Christ. They're meant to care for the body of Christ in that way. And we said it was really important for you to identify, you know, maybe where are you in that list? Do you have the gift of serving? Do you find yourself just naturally getting up and and offering encouragement and support to people? Do you have the gift of mercy where you just, it's just people come to you because you do such a great job of listening to them? Or do you have the gift of giving? If so, let us know. We have operators standing by. We'd love to get in touch with you. I'm kidding. The, the point of all of that is, is that it's worthwhile identifying what your gifting is, how God has wired you as this new creation in Christ. Because if you know who you are, then you'll better understand your purpose. You'll better understand how you can support and minister to other people. But also then knowing what other people have, you'll know who to reach out to when you're struggling. 
So that was that first gift, these motivational gifts in Romans chapter 12. The second list we saw is in 1 Corinthians 12, which Paul called pneumaticos. And, and literally that word pneumaticos is spiritual. So he, he started in uh, 1 Corinthians 12.1, I don't want you to be unaware of these pneumaticos, these spirituals. And whereas the list in Romans is, is motivational in nature and what kind of drives us, the list in 1 Corinthians 12, these pneumaticos, these spirituals, are more one-offs. They're more of a unique expression of the Holy Spirit in that moment and in that time. And, and there's all kinds of different ways to do it. Maybe it's, a, it's through a word of wisdom, which is basically a, an insight as to what's happening and how to move forward, or, or a word of knowledge, which is a more of an understanding of a, of a concept or, or, a, or, or an idea of how things function and work together. Maybe it's a word, a prophetic word. Maybe it's a, um, a faith of, of vision and leading and, and healings and miracles. And, and maybe it's words of, of uh, tongues or interpretation of those tongues. There's all kinds of unique one-off in that moment expressions of, of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads and manifests through us. And, and what's great is regardless of what your motivational gifting is in, in Romans, any one of us at any given time could experience those pneumaticos, those spirituals, when we're around one another to encourage one another. And that brought us into the third list. And the third list is in that passage of Ephesians chapter 4 where we're studying. And, and the word there for gifts that Paul uses is the word doria. And, and this really not, doesn't speak to the motivational giftings, the charismas of Romans 12, or even the pneumaticos of 1 Corinthians 12. These dorias, these gifts to the church, really speak to the offices or the various leadership roles within the church. And we saw that there are four, right? There is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor teacher. And I say there's four, not five. Some, some teach that there are five, but the reality is that the pastor and teacher are not two separate gifts. They're one and the same, pastor, teacher. And I want to spend some time now kind of studying each of these gifts because it, I think it's not always clear how those gifts function and how they, how they relate to one another. Uh, in fact, the, part of the problem is there's a lot of overlap between them and it may not be so clear. But I think what's happened is that we haven't done a really great job of understanding each of those functions. And, and so we kind of all you know, gravitate to the one that we understand the best and neglect or miss out on the power of, of all four and how they can function together. But again, there can be an overlap. It's not like the motivational giftings where you primarily have one. People can serve in multiple offices. An example is Timothy. Timothy was Paul's friend, his associate uh, in ministry, really the, a son in the faith, Paul called him. And Timothy himself was an apostle. But while he was serving at Ephesus, he was, he was serving as a pastor teacher. He was an elder there. Paul writes to him and says, don't forget to do the work of an evangelist. So you can see there, Timothy was functioning in at least three of the four offices there. So it's not that you're limited to one, but more importantly, that the function of these, each of these offices need to be happening. And, and that's why I think it's really important. It's the functioning of the office, not the title. The title really is, is unimportant. And if, if you get hung up on that title, if you need that title, then you're really not cut out for that role in that ministry. Because if you need that title, then you're trying to draw life from it. You're trying to draw significance and power and glory from having the role and having the title. And that's not the point. Keep in mind that the glory only belongs to God because whatever is being done through that role, through that function is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, only God gets the glory, not us. 
So it's not about the role. It's not about the title, but the function. And so that's what I want you to do this morning. As you're listening to this message, I, I have two goals. Number one, I don't want you to put you to sleep. That's, that's my simple goal right off the bat. I, I know that I, I'm really gifted at putting Sue and Ian's dog, Dozer, to bed. And uh, also one of the Kinghorn's kids, um, you know, Adam, Kim, you're welcome for putting one of your children to sleep every time I get, begin to speak. So goal number one is not to put the rest of you to sleep. But goal number two is that I want you to listen and I want you to hear how the Holy Spirit's wanting to work and function within the church and discover that maybe regardless of whether you have the title or the official role or not, begin to discover how you might begin to participate in what God's wanting to do. Because again, each of those roles is significant. Each of those roles have a, have a vital function to it. And, and that really, as we saw in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, in verse 12, it says that the function of that is ultimately for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. All four of those functions, all four of those offices play towards that end game, that end goal. And so if we don't understand those functions, then we're going to feel ill-equipped. We're, we're not going to be mended together very well. And so we want to understand each of those. So this morning, then, we're going to focus on one in particular. We're going to focus on the role of the apostle. And so let's pray, and we'll, let's invite the Holy Spirit to do something special. Heavenly Father, this morning, I'm, I'm excited and I look forward to discovering more of what this means to be an apostle and, and how does an apostle function and, and the key role that you've placed within the church. But Father, we want this to be more than information. Ultimately, we want this to be about life, life in you. And so, Lord, would you, would you guide us and would you lead us and would you help us to discover the freedom and the power that comes in operating the way the church that you've designed it to operate in. In your name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to start with defining this word apostle. And in the, in, in the Greek word apostle literally translates to the one that is sent or a messenger. And that's what we get this idea from here, right? And so it's this messenger, this one that is sent from, from another to a different group. And before we get into the function of the apostle, I think we have to answer the question of, do apostles exist even today? I think that's really a critical question because some would say yes, but uh, many would say no, that, that the age of the apostles, they ended at the end of the first century. Uh, they ended with the, the death of all the original apostles, probably the last one being the apostle John himself, and that ended the age of the apostles, and we moved on to something else. So we're going to try to answer that question first. Do apostles exist today, right now? And to maybe tackle, it, tackle that issue is, is look at some of the qualifications that people use to determine whether someone is qualified as an apostle. Now, this is a kind of a tricky thing to do because there's no passage in Scripture that speaks to that. We have other passages that speak to what are the qualifications of an elder, what are the qualifications of a deacon, but we don't actually have that for an apostle. So instead, what scholars have done is they've taken a, a collection of various verses that may or may not be specific to an apostle, but they've collected these verses and they've come up with some, some qualifications. And so there's three main qualifications. The, the first one is that an apostle had to be a physical eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. That was the first qualification. The, the second qualification is an apostle had to be personally appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, an apostle had to be able to be authenticate his, his, apostle, his apostleship um, through miraculous signs. And so he had to be doing these signs and wonders. 
right? So those are kind of the three main ones that are, are generally uh, viewed as the, the, the qualifications for an apostle. And as you can see, particularly based on that first qualification, there, there really shouldn't be any apostles around today because none of us were physical eyewitnesses of that. So this is then further supported by a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27-28. Here Paul writes that how, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. So the thinking here is that, that the apostles, that refers to the original 12, minus Judas, of course, along with Paul in place of Judas. And then the prophets would refer to the Old Testament prophets, such as Isaiah and Ezekiel and, uh, and, and so forth. And all of those have passed away. And so the apostles have passed away, the prophets have passed away, and now we've entered into the third age, which is the pastor-teacher. And so that brings us now into the, the leadership of the church is being run by the pastor-teacher. And that's essentially this idea. But I got a problem with that. I, I, I don't think that makes sense, actually. Because, for example, look at the verse. Look at the order in which Paul's listed things. He listed them first, apostles, and then second prophets. But in reality, the prophets of the Old Testament predated the apostles of the New Testament. It was prophets first, then apostles. So if the idea was Paul trying to say is, first apostles led the people of God, or sorry, first prophets did, and now the, then the apostles, and then it's going to be the pastor teacher, then he would have said first prophets, then apostles. So I don't think that's what he's referring to. He's not talking about these various ages that were set to expire and entering into the next one. Because even if that were the case, then the pastor teacher would have expired and we'd be on to now to the, the gifts of, of miracles and tongues and so forth. I think what he's talking about more is how a church is built. And that so much of that foundational work is done by the apostles and then into the prophets and the pastor teachers and so forth. And that they're not sequential in the sense that one ends before the next begins, but that they all function together. They all work together. And, and so this idea here that he's establishing local body, we're going to hopefully understand that more as we go. So I want to be upfront where I stand. I, I think that apostles and the function of the apostles still are happening today, that it didn't end when the apostle John died out. And and I recognize that in saying that, I'm putting myself in disagreement with many smarter people than I, much smarter people than I. And, and I, in fact, I'm even in a disagreement with people that I look up to and that, that have been mentors of mine. But I've been thinking about this for over two years now. And I've been studying it and I'm, I'm confident in where I've, I've landed. And I want to kind of share with you why I've come to this conclusion. So my first problem is this idea of these lists of these qualifications is that really they're forced upon us. They're contrived. And what I mean by it is that, again, there's no passage that lists the qualifications of an apostle. Instead, what, what scholars have done, and that's what's happened, scholars have put this list together, is they've taken verses and they've created the list themselves. Let me give you an example. In 1 Corinthians 9.1, these are one of the verses that are used to determine the qualifications of an apostle. Paul writes, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And so he's listed these off and they say, well, see, he's talking about seeing the Lord. Therefore, to be an apostle, you must have a physical perspective of or physically seen the resurrected Jesus. 
But here's the thing. In that passage, Paul's not giving a list of what an apostle is. He's, he's really just trying to you know, back up his own authority. And he states that he's an apostle. And he states that he's seen the resurrected Jesus. But to say that, one, they're, they're connected is now implying that based on, on us as a reader. Paul's not saying they're connected because he's not trying to talk about what it means to be an apostle. So you see that in many of the verses that are attached to those lists of qualifications. I still may not be convinced. That's okay. Let's, let's, let's assume for a moment those are the qualifications, and let's apply those qualifications then to the people who are in scriptures are identified as apostles. All right? So the list of apostles, they would include the original 12 disciples. Right? You've got Simon Peter, and you've got James, and you've got John, and Andrew, and, and Matthew, and, and so forth. You'd even have Judas of Iscariot, right? You'd have, have him as well, the, the traitor, right? And all of them would have passed the test laid out by the scholars, except for Judas, I guess. Um, but they all would have seen the resurrected Jesus. They, um, they would have uh, you know, done miracles. They, they would have had their apostleship uh, credited to them by Jesus, because Jesus actually called them apostles in the Gospels. And then after Judas hangs himself, as after he betrays Jesus, the disciples got together and they decided to replace him. They felt it was important to have another person to begin to share this message of the resurrected Jesus. So this, what they decided to do is they selected two people that were around and, and they did what good Jewish people did in the, these moments. They prayed and they drew lots. And out of that, you know, basically who got the, the long end of the stick was going to be the apostle. And that was the case of Matthias. Matthias became the replacement for Judas. And the other guy, well, he became the other guy, right? And, and so the problem now is this would seem to fail the test because Matthias was not personally called by Jesus to be an apostle. It was done by lots. Now, that might be okay for some because many would actually believe that Matthias was never meant to be the replacement of Judas, that instead it was going to be Paul. Paul was going to be the replacement of Judas, right? Because Saul of Tarsus at that time was rebelling against God. He was trying to persecute Christians until he had the road to Damascus experience and he became saved and then he was called to be an apostle. But part of the problem that thinking is this idea that there can only be 12, that, that Paul had to replace Judas, the reality is there are more than 12 apostles. In fact, scriptures go on to list 25 apostles in total. The first actually is, is Jesus himself. In Hebrews 3 verse 1, it talks about Jesus being an apostle, the first apostle. And then you've got the 12 apostles, the original disciples. And then you've got people like James, the half-brother of Jesus. And and I mean, we don't know if, if Jesus, or sorry, when James came to faith, whether or not he actually saw a resurrected Jesus or not. And then you've got others listed, people like Barab, uh, sorry, Barnabas. And in Romans, it talks about Andronicus and Junia and Silas and Timothy and Paphroditus and Apollos. And all of these are named as apostles. And here's the problem. Majority of that last list there, the Andronicus and Junia and Silas and Epaphroditus and Apollos, all of those are Greeks. And, and even Timothy and Titus were very young. The chances of them seeing a resurrected Jesus are actually very low and very unlikely. And then so unless, unless they had some kind of encounter like the, like the Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus, they wouldn't have seen a resurrected Jesus. They wouldn't have had that personal call on their lives where Jesus appointed them as apostle. And so all of them would have failed the test. And yet, 
each of them are stated as apostles in Scripture. Now, before we go any further, I got a little bunny trail I want to go, uh, go on because I think it's really important us for, to recognize something. And that is when in Romans, it talks about Andronicus and Junia. And, and what's interesting here is it, in Romans 16, it says, Greet Andronicus and Junius, or Junia, we'll explain that one in a minute, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are as outstanding among the apostles. Now, the original manuscript has Junia, but later manuscripts translated it differently or copied it differently, and it became Junius. Why is that significant? Well, Junia is a female name, and Junius is a male name. It's sort of like basically coming across the name Patricia and then deciding to change it to Patrick. And so it's the, the male version of, of the female name. And that's what happened. And, and so why did that happen? Well, why did they, they make the change? Well, is it because it was a copy error? Because keep in mind that they didn't have, you know, photocopies at the time. What they would do is they'd have to write out, copy out, you know, under candlelight with the, you know, the, the ink in a, in a pot sort of idea and a, and a feather and sort of write out, copy out the scriptures. And so maybe it was an innocent copy mistake. Or maybe more likely what happened is people weren't sure. They weren't weren't comfortable with this idea that there was a female apostle. And so they changed it to a male apostle by having Junius. And so in some, some Bibles, actually, they still actually print Junius. That's what you'll see in the New American Standard Bible, which is why I had it crossed out here, because the earlier trans transcripts and the, the more reliable ones would all have it as Junia. So why is that significant? What it tells us is that women could be and did serve as apostles in the church. See, we have the 25 that are listed in, in, this, in the scriptures. My guess is there are many, many more. They just, we don't know all the stories. Just like we don't know all the stories of who the evangelists are or who the prophets were, we just have what's recorded for us, but there are many more. But it tells us that women in the early church were recognized and served as apostles in the church. And that's huge. Don't, don't, miss, don't, don't pass by that so quickly because think about the state that women were regarded in, in that time, in that culture. They didn't have property rights. They were property themselves. They weren't respected. And yet what we see here is they were honored. They were seen as having uh, the ability to serve as apostles. It would have been enormous to do that. So women can serve as apostles. That's important. But that still doesn't help us understand what the function of that apostle is. So let's start to understand that a little bit more. And I, and I think part of the why there's a reluctance to recognize um, that their apostles exist today is because the weight and the authority that the apostles have, the, the, the role that they played in that early church. Because really what happens is we see apostles often as being the, the ultimate leaders in the church having the greatest authority, that they, they're over top of the prophets, they're over top of the pastor, teacher, and the evangelist. But I don't think Paul's listing them in terms of order and authority. He's just listing them in, you know, as functions in the church. And, and I think part of our thinking of, of seeing apostles come with that level of authority really goes back to the Roman Catholic Church. See, the Roman Catholic Church today still recognizes apostles. In fact, the Pope is the ultimate apostle, the first apostle. He's, he's the replacement of the apostle Peter. And therefore, he's ha he has the greatest power and the greatest authority. 
And so, you know, when the Protestant Reformation took on, took over or happened, there was so much of a, of a rejection towards that level of authority that, that a pope would have that kind of control. And so I think so much of the, the Protestant Reformation has basically tried to remove the role of the apostle because they saw the power and the authority that those apostles had. But I don't think that's the function of those apostles. That's not what it's meant to be. Now, I do think that the original 11 apostles plus Paul, those 11 disciples plus Paul, I think that they, they had a unique apostleship. Much like the prophets in the Old Testament, that they, they stood in a unique role than just any prophet. I think those 11 plus Paul served in a unique role. And, and I say that for a couple reasons. Number one, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21 and verse 14, Paul writes this. He's talking about the how new Jerusalem is coming in and there's a new heaven, a new earth. And, and he talks about the city Jerusalem being a walled city. And he describes it this way. He says, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so I think what, he's, what we see here is that those 12 apostles, the original 11 disciples, plus I believe it to be Paul, were unique they had a special, special apostleship in many ways because they're continuing to be apostles to this day. Think about it. We've, we've got the writings of Paul and Peter and John. We're still able to, to, to read and study what they're teaching 2,000 years ago. And so in many ways, they never stopped serving as apostles and will continue to do so. And so I think they, they serve in a unique way, which means that what their scriptures, their teachings, they get to define the doctrine. They get to define theology and, and what we believe. It's why we study scriptures. It's why we go back to and understand, well, what was Paul and John and Peter and the other New Testament writers teaching? Because what they were teaching, that's the new covenant. And we don't get to deviate from that. And so that's where truth is found. Not based on what we think, not based on even what the world or culture wants to say is right. It's what did the scripture say? And so when I ask the question, is it, is it okay for women to serve as an apostle? We come back to the scriptures and what do we discover? Absolutely. Men and women both get to function as apostles because that's what the scriptures teach us. So not based on what culture says, not based on what the world is teaching us, but what do the scriptures say? So that's what we want to do then. We want to come back to understanding what do the scriptures say, specifically on this idea of apostleship. Now, as a quick aside here, let's understand a little bit of how you study the scriptures. And I think that's really important and is going to aid us in understanding the role of an apostle today. And, and so whenever you study the scripture, you have to understand there are kind of four steps to it. When you come to it, the first step you need to do is, is observation. You want, to, you want to take a look at and you want to observe what is the passage saying? What is it... Um, you know, what, what does it include? Are there certain words that are repeated? Are there, are there certain words that are used and different words that are used? Uh, what is the style? Is it, is it a teaching? Is it a narrative like in the Gospels? Is it a poem like in the Psalms? Is it, is it a, a prophecy of, of what's to come? Um, is it a prophecy of what has come? You're trying to observe all those, those aspects of it. Who is the writer? Who is he writing to? Uh, what's the main idea? Those are the things you're wanting to observe. And once you've begun to observe that for a time, now what you want to do is you want to do some, some interpretation. 
And the interpretation here is really a key. You need to interpret it from the original reader's perspective. Meaning, we're studying this book of Ephesians. We don't come at it initially looking at it, what does it say to me as a 21st century person? We need to first understand it, what did it mean to a first century Ephesian? Because if you can understand it from a first century Ephesians perspective, now you'll begin to be able to apply it to our perspective. But if, if what I'm saying by that is, the passage can't say one thing to that first century Ephesian and say something different to you and I today. It's gotta be in, in agreement. And so that's why we first want to understand how would a first century Ephesian, in our case, or a first century believer, interpret this passage. And then whatever conclusions you come to, now you want to correlate those things. Meaning you can't have one passage of Scripture disagreeing with another passage of Scripture. Paul and Peter have to be in agreement. And they have to be in agreement with John. And Paul has to be in agreement with himself based on the letter he wrote to Colossians or Ephesians or Rome and so forth. And, and so we want to correlate the conclusion I'm, I'm coming up to. Does it, does it validate with the rest of Scripture? Because all of the New Testament, all of Scripture is in agreement with one, one another. And then once you've done that, now finally you can begin to apply that in your own life. What does that mean? What does that say to me today? That's the last question you ask after you've observed, after you've interpreted, interpreted after you've correlated. Now we can begin to apply it. So... Let's start by putting ourselves in the shoes of a first century Ephesian to understand the function or what an apostle is. And, and keep in mind, the first time we see the word apostle actually shows up in, in, in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 and 13, uh, it's recorded for us here. It was at this time that Jesus, he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. So these, these 12 disciples were named as apostles in the Gospels, not just after <clears throat> the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's the first time you and I see the word apostle. But it's important for us to understand that the word apostle is not originally Christian. It's not something that, the, that Luke or, or even Matthew or Mark or John or any of the New Testament writers came up with. Instead, the word apostle <clears throat> is actually borrowed. <clears throat> it's borrowed from the Roman world. It's, it's originally just, it's completely separate from the church. Unfortunately, what's happened is nowadays, you only really hear of the word apostle used within religious circles. But its meaning is greater than religious circles. It was simply borrowed to it. So, what is a Roman apostle? Well, to understand a Roman apostle, I think we have to understand a, the Roman Empire a little bit. So the Roman Empire at the time was, was the largest empire on earth, and it was an, an expanding empire. It, it obviously didn't just start with the city or province of Rome. It was, it was growing and growing and growing. And what they would do is they would go in by force and take over another plot of land, another piece of territory, another, another nation, another town, and so forth. And in Rome, their goal was to be a melting pot, not multicultural, right? Multicultural meaning that, that everyone can have various cultures and we'll all operate together as one. Whereas a melting pot is this idea that you're going to join the, the larger culture and you will take on this larger culture. And so basically the goal of Rome was take over a, a plot of land, a plot of territory, and introduce Roman culture into that land. And so when they, when they took over Ephesus or modern-day Turkey, they wanted to, to take that province and make it like Rome. 
When they took over Israel, they wanted to have the Israelites adopt the Roman culture. That's why the Jews really caused so much problems for, the, for Rome, because they were unwilling to adopt that Roman culture. They wanted to hold on to their Jewishness. And so that's what Rome was wanting to do, is they, they would bring back the brightest and the best of that, that culture they just uh, dominated or took over back into Rome, knowing that the culture of Rome would eventually change them. But what they would do then is send people to this new, new territory to introduce this culture. And these people they would send were apostles. That's what they were called. So essentially here, an apostle in the Roman world what they did is they brought the Roman culture to the new territory to transform those people to live as Romans. That's what the Roman apostles did. So they were there to build culture. They were there to influence and teach people. This is how you wear a toga. This is how uh, we celebrate. And this is, you know, these are the feasts and these are the gods we're going to worship. And, um, you know, we're going to have these Roman games, these gladiators. And, and, and this is, you know, how the money we're going to use. They were trying to teach each of these people in Ephesus to live like Romans. Or the people in Colossae or Philippi, how Romans were to live. So that they all ultimately have one Roman culture within the Roman world wherever you went. So that's what apostles did. They were responsible for, for bringing and teaching and building culture. I think that's what apostles do today. That's what apostles in the New, in the new, new Covenant in the church do today. They're not meant to have an overpowering leadership like a pope. Instead, what their function and their role is to do is just simply to build and establish the culture of grace and life in Jesus Christ and lead others to live within that community of grace. Think about it. When, when you and I, when we grew up in this world, we're surrounded by a world that's trying to teach us to live a certain way. Look out for yourself. Look out for number one. Can't trust anyone because they're going to hurt you. So you got to rely on yourself. Be self-reliant. Um, hide your struggles from people. Don't let them know. Don't let them know what's going on. Because if they know, then they can use that to control you, to hurt you, or maybe they'll reject you. Uh, they don't really want to be around you. You can't be a burden on them. Or life is a zero-sum game. You're either winning or losing. If someone else is winning, that means you're losing. And so you got to always be winning. You've got to accumulate as much power and, and glory and wealth as, as you can. And then if you do, then somehow that's going to cause you to live forever. Those are all the messages that this world is teaching us. But Jesus has overcome this world. He's overcome sin and shame through the work on the cross. And now what he's doing is he wants his people to live in the freedom of the new covenant. He wants them to live within this community of grace. And so what he's done is he sent his apostles now to establish what this community and this culture looks like. And, and so what they're going to do is these, these New Testament apostles, these, these 21st century apostles to today, they're going to go and they're often be responsible for building things. So we see them in often doing missionary work or evangelistic work in terms of going out there and, and, and finding an unreached people group and beginning to build a church there. So they might be a church planters. Or maybe they start up a, a new ministry. They often have an entrepreneurial ship uh, attitude towards that. But, but don't limit it to those roles. Please don't limit it to those roles. Because what that often does then is has this idea is once that church gets planted, then the role of the apostles is done and they disappear. 
And the reality is an apostle is, is or apostles are necessary to the healthy functioning of, of a body of Christ, to the local church. And so they're meant to continue that work even after that, that church has been planted. And so what I hope to show us, hope you will see, is, is that work and that function of apostleship is happening today, even within New Life Fellowship. Now, maybe, maybe it's my Protestant roots and my Protestant upbringing that's showing, and, and I get uncomfortable with saying, you know, we have apostle so-and-so, and, and I may not be the most comfortable with that title apostle. But again, it's not about titles. It's about the, seeing it function within the body of Christ, seeing it function within new life. And, and I've been watching for it, and I see examples of it. In fact, Peter even kind of referenced it this morning. You know, what was so great about that video that we showed, and the reason why we played that video was because it's, it's leading to this community that we want to have. And, and Peter talked about how recently Sue, on that Facebook group, she has been functioning in that role. She's been doing apostolic, apostleship work in inviting us to connect with one another on Facebook. Norm's doing that when he's invited all these guys to get together on, at Tim Hortons this week, just to hang out, to, to encourage one another. Uh, we, we've seen it with the, the, the worship leadership team, with, with Peter and Joy and Nikki and the great work they've been doing with the, with the worship team. Because what they've been doing is, is not just what you and I see on, on a recorded basis. They've been, they've been getting together with people on the worship teams and they've been you know, meeting with them and, and getting people to open up and share their story, making it safe for one another. And, and so they've been doing all that. And all of that stuff, what it's been doing is it is building, it's establishing, it's creating this culture of grace, this culture of trusting one another, of loving one another. And so we're seeing it happen within New Life Fellowship. But we also see it, I see it happening by John Balfour in, in his job. At Siderman, what John's been doing is, is he cares about these, these guys that, that work there and, and, and ladies as well, and he's establishing in that workplace to be a, a community of grace. And he's loving on them so well. And he's leading them and he's teaching them. And now they're watching and they're learning and they're getting to share that with other people. And so all of that's happening. You see, the role of the apostle today isn't to go off and change the outside culture. It's to build the culture within the church, working alongside the prophet, working alongside the evangelist, working alongside uh, the pastor teacher. And I think today, where, where the church has been thrown upside down and sideways because of COVID, where we can't function normally, it's not easy for us to get together, the role of, of apostles within the church become even more critical. Becomes more critical because the the formal leadership of the church is very difficult for us to organize events because to do that, there's liability and there's all kinds of, of, of uh, protocols and policies that need to be put into place. But what's so beautiful is Norm just says, hey, I'm getting together at Tim Hortons. Who wants to join me? Now anyone can join and there's no sanctioned event to it, but you're free to just enjoy community. Or, or maybe you, you do it with a getting together online with a Zoom group or, or people have been doing it on Sunday mornings, just inviting people over to their homes. Or, or maybe as the fall comes, we can start to just have you know, people get together in their homes for some Bible studies or for just some times of worship or encouragement with one another, however you want to do it. Nothing needs to be formalized. Nothing needs to be dictated to you guys by the elders. Instead, 
I want to I want to invite you guys to listen to the Holy Spirit and see if he's inviting you to participate in building the culture and taking what what we're teaching and actually trying it out and actually risking that it can be true and real in our lives and our worlds. And in doing so, we 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 strengthen each other. We encourage one another. And the light of Jesus begins to shine even brighter. And I'm telling you guys, the world is a dark place and it's getting darker. And I, I do believe that we're getting closer and closer to the day that Jesus returns. And, and because of that, it means that the world needs to know about Jesus more than ever. Because the, the time is short and I want everyone to hear and have the opportunity to come to faith in Jesus as much as possible. And to do that, the church has to be in good shape. The church has to be functioning well to let the life of Jesus flow through it, to see Jesus do that kind of work. And so let us look for opportunities to encourage one another. Let us look for opportunities to exhort one another. And to those who are feeling that lead to, to organize that, do it. You don't need the title. In fact, if there is a title to come, it will come because you've been doing that work and the body of Christ will recognize that in you. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that, that we'll recognize that, that apostles today do exist and, and they're not like the apostles in the New Testament like, like Peter and, and Paul and John where it's all about you know, having that kind of authority over doctrine within the church. Instead, apostles, the role they play are in building community, that we get to establish the culture, the new covenant culture, and, and share that with one another. And Father, I pray especially over New Life Fellowship that, that those people would be courageous enough to lead, that they wouldn't sit back and just be observers, but would be participants, inviting others into the experience of living as one, as living as this, this ecclesia, this gathering where we're one in you and you in us. And I'm excited to see all the great work you're going to do as a result of that, Lord Jesus. That the result of that, of this building up and this equipping of the saints ultimately leads to you being glorified. So thank you for all that you're about to do. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.